hard, different struggles at different times, but today we are united as family. So the true healing has begun. From the East Coast, military removal of indigenous people had taken place. The manifest destiny took over the country, and our Mother Earth faced many obstacles, with 90% of our Native Americans being wiped from the face of the Earth. Social illness began. For Crimes, infrastructure, education. So, many of these things are no different than each and every one of you that struggle every day. The difference with us is the United States holds our tribal land and their trust. We are not able to be what a regular American is and have the same opportunities. Our urgent fight today is water in our sacred and holy lands that are being destroyed by companies. And the federal government given exemptions to foreign companies like Resolution Copper Company in Arizona. Right now, all our nation resources are being under attack by corporate companies. These remaining places must be saved. Yes. In the coming days, Native people will be speaking loud and clear of warnings that we will see as a full attack on the Mother Earth and holy places. For without water, there is no life. That's right. And let us work together as brothers and sisters to keep the blessed gift God gave us alive. Akia! Thank you. Akia! Akia! Yes, sir. Say, that's what? That's what? Systemic racism looks like. Systemic racism looks like. And that's why we stand. And that's why we stand. Jimmy Hawkins with the Presbyterian Church, USA Office of Public Witness, and the Presbyterians in the house. All right. In August of 2015, I testified in federal court in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, in a lawsuit, the NAACP and the U.S. Department of Justice versus Governor Pat McCrory. The church that I pastored at the time, Covenant Presbyterian in Durham, was appointed in that case to overturn the voter suppression, the Election Reform Act, or, or House Bill 589. This law was an intentional effort on the part of North Carolina legislators to disenfranchise voters of color, the poor, young people, those with language barriers, poor communities, those with disabilities, and anyone they considered the other. Now the lawmakers said that voter fraud and the integrity of the system was their motivation, but they would not testify on trial and said their communications were privileged. When reached for comment, Governor Pat McCrory's office had no statement to make, but those of us who testified on that day, we had something to say. That this voter suppression law was not to target fraud, but to perpetuate fraud. That its purpose was to create barriers to prevent or discourage people from voting, especially those who are already marginalized and less likely to vote. That's right. That those with the most to lose when they are unable to vote should not have barriers placed before them when they try to vote. Another voice spoke out. The Fourth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, they had something to say. That's right. That this law was used to, quote, target African Americans with almost surgical precision, and that it was unconstitutionally racist, and then they overturned it. We here today have something to say, that voting is a right and not a privilege. That incarceration should not strip you of your right to vote. That's right. That your materialism should not determine your political rights. That the voting rights of the poor should be protected by our political leaders and not reduced. And that the most heinous form of voter fraud occurs when legislators justify denying the poor their right to vote by saying that they are protecting the vote. 
We are asking for a different day today, that voting should be a paid holiday, that early voting sites should be set up throughout this country, my, that the rights my. of the poor should be upheld, and that every person in the United States of America should have the right to access to voting polls wherever they live. Yes, sir. Step up. Yes. Say voter suppression. It's systemic racism. You can't address systemic poverty without addressing systemic racism. Would y'all welcome the Reverend Jesse L. Jackson? Yes. April the 4th. Bobby Kennedy was killed June the 5th. We're mourning the fact that Spunk was killed and Meg Gibbons was killed. We had our different struggles at different times, but today we're united as family. What, what's the, what is the purpose of leaving the Iranian nuclear deal knowing that there are so many unanswered questions about the different aspirations of Iran and the different aspirations of some of the other players in the region, including Saudi Arabia? And, of course, the United States' involvement in the politics of Israel, the involvement in the politics of the Gulf states. What's the future going to bring, and do you think these actions are a big risk, Frank? Um, certainly they pose. You know, any type of radical change <clears throat> and 180 turnaround on, you know, the previous administration's treaty um, – with another country, not only one country, but six or seven others, after years of negotiation, is, well, it's pretty undiplomatic. Uh, what's going to happen? There certainly will be a ripple effect. You know, it will increase the odds that uh, war will break out. And I believe that's one of the reasons this current administration decided to pull out. You know, it's part of a chess game. It's part of a large international uh, military chess game where, you know, clearly... The Middle East is divided along Sunni and Shia lines, you know, and as soon as you start figuring out which countries or which areas, you know, lean or are of my majority Shia background versus Sunni background, you'll start realizing the patterns in the Middle East and why um, they clash with each other or they uh, get into war with each other, you know, et cetera, et cetera, support and oppose each other. You know, very few things actually bring the entire Arab, Arab League together. Uh, okay, I'm uh, very sorry about that. Um, we're back with Frank Lowe, and we're once again to rehash uh, some of our previous statements on Iran. We've seen the the denial... The United States, of course, as many of the listeners and viewers know, made the decision a couple of months ago to withdraw from the Iranian nuclear deal. We're speaking here with Frank Lowe, and we're comparing the Iranian nuclear deal and the extremely negative and undiplomatic attitude that Mr. Trump has had towards Iran and juxtaposed and compare that with the treatment of North Korea, inexplicably, of course, not holding North Korea to account for any human rights issues, indeed telling uh, reporters at a press conference that in one paragraph that human rights wasn't discussed, or he couldn't do anything about it, and then a few sentences later saying that it was discussed at great length, which seems to be par for the course for the president. I mean, how can two opposite truths both not be 
counter-exclusive. So what are your thoughts on this? And is there any coherence to this president's foreign policy, or is it just a pinball being knocked around? Well, first of all, you know, with Iran, um, it's, you know, it falls into the whole dichotomy of, um, you know, the uh, Sunni-Shia divide. I mean, our biggest allies in the region are Saudi Arabia and Israel, uh, neither of whom are strong supporters or allies or friends of Iran's. Um, in the, usually when I start talking about this region uh, with people, there's a lot of confusion, there's a lot of sort of... Uh, oversimplification, etc. You know, it is it is quite a diverse, varied, um, multifaceted uh, situation and region. Uh, and and the simplest way that I, I get people to start understanding it is, you know, figure out which side on the Shia Sunni divide each country or each people are on. We